book of Luke. This morning we'll go back to our study in Luke. And as you turn, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, that's where we'll be this morning. We'll just see what God wants to speak to our heart. Now before we do that, we're going to go through our Bible verses that hopefully you've been memorizing this week. And so as a church, we are memorizing the Sermon on the Mount together. So that is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so we are in Matthew 5. And this week, you memorize Scripture. Amen? One person memorized it. Amen. So we were going to memorize, I hope you memorize, verses 19 and 20 this week. And I will just say, last week was so bad that I felt like I was standing here quoting Scripture all by myself. But this morning, I'm going to do something I normally would never do. I'm going to be gracious, and I'm not gracious. But I'm going to put the verses on the screen. And here's why. We're going to read these together so that you'll know what it's supposed to be like next week when we come back memorizing Scripture together. Amen? Okay, so it better sound just like this next week when we read this verses. And don't just sit there and mumble and don't say anything so you'll think it'll sound better next week. No, we're going to read Scripture together. Amen? You can't even read it? Okay, if you didn't memorize it, you can at least read it. Okay, so we're going to put it up. So Matthew 5, verse 19, let's read it together. This is what Jesus says. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen, that was much better. So next week it's going to be just like that, right? Yes, it's going to be just like that. Because you're going to memorize scripture this week. Amen? Amen. So you're going to go home and you're going to memorize verse 21 and 22 of Matthew 5. And before long we're going to put it all together. Starting in verse 1 and going all the way through. So hopefully you are memorizing. Because I believe with all my heart if you memorize the word of God and hide that in your heart. God will not only use it in your life. He will use it to speak to others' life through his word as it flows out of you. So memorize the word of God. Well, this week at my house anyway, the last couple of weeks really, one of the things we've been doing is we've been filling out college applications. My oldest daughter is senior and getting ready for college, and the reason we've been filling those out the last couple of weeks is because it's been free, so they haven't been charging application fees. So we filled out as many as we could so we wouldn't get charged in anything, so I like free. So that's why we've been filling those out. And as we fill out those college applications, it kind of amuses me some of the things that they ask on the college applications that you have to do. And I guess, really, it shouldn't amuse me because all of our life, what we have taught our children basically is this. We've taught them that they have to be better than the person sitting next to them, right? They have to be smarter. They have to be better. They have to be faster. They have to be stronger. Whatever it is, they got to be better because that's how you will make it in life. That's how you'll get into the best college. That's how you'll get the best job. That's how you'll do this. That's how you'll do that. We tell them they got to be better. So what we do is we say, when they fill out a college application, well, look, there's an admissions committee, and you got to tell them what they want to hear. So you better tell them all about your grades and all your test scores. you got to tell them about all your extracurricular activities and all the great things you've done. And then hopefully, just hopefully, they'll accept you rather than someone else. Is that not what we say? Now, we don't say that, but is that not what we mean in everything that we do and everything we teach our kids? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. And it's the antithesis of what the Word of God teaches. 
So this week, as I thought about those college applications, I thought about what if heaven had an admissions committee? And what if we had to fill out an application for heaven? Now, what would we write down on our application? Well, I know what you would write down on the application. You would write down what you think they want to hear. So what if you didn't get to write it down? What if the admissions committee for heaven just looked at your life and the way you lived your life and that was your application? What would it say? We'd probably talk about all the places you went to school. All the degrees you have and the great education you have because that's what we spend so much of our time doing. Well, those who could get things done, they'd probably be up there on the list. All of us with type A personalities, we'd have a leg up because we can get things done. What about those of us who know people in high places? It's always good to know important people, right? Well, that would have to be on the application committee because that's what we spend our life doing, meeting the right people. What about those who are wealthy? Well, of course, that's going to be on the top of the list because we all spend our life trying to accumulate wealth so that we can live comfortably and retire comfortably. That has to be on the top of the list. How about beauty? I mean, there can be no ugly people in paradise, right? So beauty has got to be up there. We spend a lot of time trying to make ourselves pretty. Now, we would never put those things on our application, but that's how we live our life, striving after those things, garnering those things, going after those things. And the Bible teaches the exact opposite. Jesus knows that. And so this morning as we read Luke chapter 12. We're going to read about sin in our heart. And if you don't think you have this sin in your heart. Then you really got it. Because this morning we're going to read about the root of all sin. Every sin flows out of the sin we're going to talk about this morning. And so this morning when I read the scripture, here's what's going to automatically happen to you. You're going to think Jesus is talking to someone else. Because that's how we've been conditioned. But if you think that, I'm telling you, Jesus is speaking to you. And I can say that with absolute confidence because this week, as I've studied this text, guess who Jesus has been speaking to? Me. And he's been revealing things in my heart, in my life, that I didn't even know were there. So This morning, I just want to read this text. And I want you to see a problem we all have got. Now remember, as we have gone through the book of Luke, and as we've gotten this far, we're getting toward the end of Jesus' life. He's only got a few months to live. He is toward the end. Toward the end, the last few months, he has a lot of confrontation with a group of people called the religious or the Pharisees. At first, when the Pharisees heard the teachings of Jesus, guess what they thought? Oh, he's talking to someone else. But now, as it gets closer to the end, they realize that Jesus is talking to them. And guess what? They take offense to it. And it's that offense that leads to the cross. It's why Jesus is crucified, because they take offense to what he says. And this morning, you're probably going to be offended. So that's a good thing. I hope it does. Because it sure offended me. So look at verse 1. Luke chapter 12. This is what the Bible says. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling around and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and that all is secret will be made known to all. 
Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. So what is the warning that Jesus Christ gives here in Luke chapter 12? He warns us, his disciples, to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now what in the world is he saying by beware of the yeast? Well, if you know anything about yeast... All yeast is, is a fungus. And you put this fungus in dough, in bread, so that the bread will rise. And then you can bake it, and it'll be fluffy, and it'll taste good. But what happens with that yeast, it is a fungus, and it permeates every ounce of the dough you put that in. It infects it. That's what it does. And so what Jesus is saying is if you have this sin in your life, it permeates every aspect of your life. It infects every aspect of your life, so beware of it. And what should you beware of? Hypocrisy. Now, we all think we know what hypocrisy means. We think it means to say one thing and do something else. That's what we think it means, and that's part of it, but that's not what Jesus is saying. To understand what he's saying, you've got to understand the time in which Jesus lived because Jesus grew up in a place called Nazareth. And just not far from Nazareth, there was a Roman amphitheater, a huge amphitheater where people would go, and guess what they would watch? Actors. And what were those actors called? Hippocrats. And a hypocrite, what they would do, this actor would get on stage and he would wear a mask and he would do a show trying to show you or pretend you that he's someone else. He was trying to deceive you. That's what he was doing. So the sin that Jesus is talking about is hypocrisy. But here's what you've got to understand. What leads to hypocrisy? What leads to you putting on a show for someone else? Or saying one thing and doing something else? The sin is is the sin that leads to all other sin in our life. It's the sin of pride. All sin flows out of pride. Everything. Self-reliance flows out of pride. Selfishness, greed, hatred, anger, bitterness, not seeing the need of others, broken relationships, broken marriages, haughtiness, arrogance, whatever you can think of in your mind that is sinful, all goes back to one sin called pride. Why? Because that pride is what changed the world for you and me. It changed the world for everyone. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. What sin did Adam and Eve commit? Pride. Satan comes to them and he says this, Hey, God knows if you eat the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will become like God, knowing both good and evil. And what did Adam and Eve want? They wanted to be like God. Why? Because they had a prideful spirit. They wanted to be God of their life rather than God being God of their life. And they thought they were arrogant enough to think that they could judge good and evil, not only for their life, but for everyone else, because of pride. And the sins of these Pharisees was pride. That was their sin. And because of this pride, it affected and permeated and infected every aspect of in every area of their life. Now how did these Pharisees have pride? It's because they were simply deceived. They were just deceived. And why were they deceived? Well, if you read Revelation 12, verse 9. Revelation 12, verse 9 tells us that Satan is the deceiver of the world. He deceives the whole world. And how does Satan deceive us? It is so simple. All Satan does is tells us what we want to hear. That's all he does. He doesn't have to lie to us. He doesn't have to trick us. He just has to tell us what we want to hear. He says things like this. He says, you deserve that. 
That should be yours, not theirs. You should be the one singing that song. You should be the one on the stage. Your name should be in the paper. Can you believe what she said? Can you believe what he's wearing? He just tells us what we want to hear. And what happens when we come to the word of God and when we read truth that sounds offensive to us. It sounds harsh to us. Why? Because we don't like it. Because it's not what we want to hear. It's truth. That's why this world today says they won't believe in a God like this or the Bible because he's harsh and he's mean. He's not harsh and mean at all. It's just not what we want to hear. So Satan tells us what we want to hear. Guess what? A lot of pastors will tell you what you want to hear. They will tell you God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. God never wants you to be sick. He wants you to have this. He wants you to have that. That is a lie. The Bible never teaches that. But guess what? It's what you want to hear. It's easy to your ears. And it grows a big church. But it's just Satan. It's just deceit. It's just pride welling up inside of us. Infecting every area of our life. Leading to sin and sin and bondage and bondage and bondage. Sin of pride. So this morning, I want you to see pride in your life. Because I want you to see it in the life of the Pharisees. Because the reason Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12 is because the night before he had a dinner party in Luke chapter 11. And at the end of Luke chapter 11, a Pharisee invites Jesus over for dinner. And at first, Jesus just walks in and sits down, and guess what he does? He just starts eating. And the Pharisee is shocked. You didn't do this and that. You didn't wash your hands. You didn't perform the rituals we always perform. And so this Pharisee is criticizing Jesus. Not a good idea. Because Jesus will speak truth when you do that. That's what he does. He just speaks truth. He doesn't criticize the Pharisee. He just speaks truth. And guess what? It's offensive to the Pharisee. And guess what? It's going to be offensive to you. But listen to what he says. Verse 39 of Luke 11. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools! Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? Here, what Jesus is saying is he's just accusing the Pharisees of being so obsessed with their outwardly appearance and what other people see about them rather than caring about what's on the inside and what God sees, he's calling them utter fools. This is a theme of the Bible. Go back to the Old Testament. If you go back to the Old Testament, a great book to read is 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, especially chapter 16, you can read a great truth in Scripture. Because in 1 Samuel 16, God tells the prophet Samuel to go choose another king. He's rejected King Saul, the people's choice, and God is going to choose a king. So God tells Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. That's where the king is going to come from. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house and asks for his sons. And he sees Jesse's oldest son called Eliab. And he sees Eliab and he says, surely that's God's anointed. He is strong. He's mighty. That's the one God chose. And God said, nope, not them. Then his other son comes, Abinadab. And Samuel says, that's got to be him. God says, no. And then God says this to Samuel. He says, I don't see things the way you see them. People look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And so every son that Jesse has goes before Samuel and he's thinking, that's him, that's him, none of them. God rejects them all. And so finally Samuel says, is there not any more? And Jesse says, well, I got one more son, but he's out in the field. He's the run of the litter. 
He's the youngest. Samuel says, take me to him. And so he takes him to him. And guess who that man is? King David. And two different times in Scripture, guess what the Bible says about King David? David is a man after God's own heart. Why? Because God does not look at the outward appearance. God looks at your heart. So this morning when most of you got up and got ready to come to church, what did you do? You focused a lot on the outward appearance, right? I hope you took a shower. Probably brushed your hair, washed your hair. You ladies put on makeup. You put on your finest clothes. And you came to church. And I hear people say, well, when I go to church, I want to give my finest to God. So I put the nicest things I have on. That's a lie. If you put on the nicest thing you had, you would wear a tuxedo and an evening gown to church every week, right? But nobody does. Why? Because they live a lie. So let's compare the time you spent on outward appearance this morning to the time you spent on inward purity this morning or getting your spirit right for God to worship Him. How much time did you spend reading God's Word this morning? How much time did you spend praying? How much time did you spend confessing your sins before you come into a place to worship a holy God? See, Jesus can say the same thing to us, He says to the Pharisees. Because pride is just leprosy of the soul. If you go back and read about leprosy in Jesus' day, it was not good. A leper in Jesus' day was called the walking dead because on average, a leper only lived about nine years after he contracted leprosy. What leprosy does is it attacks your central nervous system and it affects your nerves to where you can't even feel your extremities. And what would happen is literally people's fingers and toes would fall off because blood flow wouldn't make it. They would get these large sores and ulcers on their body and they would just weep and ooze and their face would become hard and would become distorted. They had to live in colonies or they had to live in caves outside the city. Because not only did it change their physical appearance, it made them unclean spiritually. If you were to touch someone that was a leper, you would be spiritually unclean. And you couldn't worship God for a period of time. You couldn't go to the temple. So everywhere they went, they had to call out, unclean, unclean, so people would run from them. That's what pride does to our spirit, to our soul. It hardens our hearts to where we think our needs are more important than others. And we don't even see their needs anymore. makes us unclean because it leads to other sins. That's what pride does. But pride also does something else. Pride distorts reality. All pride does is it takes truth and it turns truth into a lie. And it takes a lie and it turns lies into truth. That's what the Pharisees did and that's what we do even today. Look at verse 43 of Luke 11. He says, What sorrow awaits you Pharisees For you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you. For you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk all over them without knowing the corruption that they are stepping on. Pride just takes reality and turns it upside down. How? 
Because every person in this room is more concerned about what other people think about you rather than what God thinks about you. And we know it's true. I know it's true. Because every week we come into this sanctuary and we worship God. And how do we worship Him? Based on the traditions of man rather than the Word of God. We don't lift up holy hands in this place, as the Bible says. Why? Because what might they think? We don't get on our face prostrate before God. Why? Well, they might think I have something wrong in my life. We don't come to an altar to pray. Why? Because of what the person sitting next to you thinks. Who cares? There are people in hell who cared more about what people thought about them rather than what God thought about them because their pride kept them there. It doesn't matter what people think. Why are you trying to impress people when you need the living God? Pride is what keeps us from Him. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about two people who come to church just like this. One's a Pharisee. One's a tax collector. Now, I know when we hear the name Pharisee 2,000 years later, we think bad, we think we don't want to be like them. But in Jesus' day, everybody wanted to be a Pharisee. Why? Because they were the most respected people in town. They did everything right. They dressed the right way. They said the right things. They went to the right places. They lived the right lives. So a Pharisee walks into church, and this is what he does. He walks in with his finest robe, with his hair combed, with his face bright, and he walks into the center of the room, and he just prays. That's all he does. And pray he does. This is the prayer he prays. He says, God, you're lucky to have me. I pray. I tithe. I do this. I do that. I'm not like the rest of the people in this room, these sinners. And he winks to heaven and walks out of the room. And everyone cheers. Ah. But then Jesus says, there's another in the room, a tax collector. That everyone in his day would have hated because tax collectors robbed from them. That's what they did. They took money from them and they lined their own pockets. They blackmailed people. They extorted money from them. They hated tax collectors. But a tax collector walked in with a Pharisee, but he didn't go to the center of the room. He went to the corner of the room and he got down in his face before God and he prayed. And all he did was cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all he says. And then Jesus asks the question, which one of those two dudes goes home justified before God? And the crowd's going to think, well, the Pharisee, of course. But Jesus says, no. The tax collector. Why? Because he was desperate for God. He didn't let his pride get in the way of being changed by the living God forever. So what is the cure for pride? Well, of course, the cure for pride is salvation. Your life has to be changed. And it has to be changed through the love of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. So that you can be made right with God. Your life has to be changed. Salvation is about life change. Listen, if your life is not different today than it was the day before you were saved, then you are not saved. Salvation is life change. And pride keeps so many people from their life ever be changed. Why? Because they think they're all right. Because Satan whispers to them and tells them what they want to hear. You're really a good person. Compare yourself to that one or that one or this one. You're better than all of them. And we think it's right because of pride. Well, I don't really need God. 
Or we sit in a church like this over and over and over and over and all the people in the room think we're godly. They think we're holy. And what will they think if I walk down and give my life to the Lord? Because we care more about what people think than what God thinks. We're concerned with the outward appearance and not the heart. Salvation is the cure for pride. But here's the problem. Many of us have been saved. And guess what happens over time? Even through salvation, pride can well back up. Because guess who's talking all the time? Satan. And he's just telling us things we want to hear. And we sure want to hear them rather than what God says. So we listen. Oh yeah, we're better than we thought. I'm okay. I don't need to do what God says. I'll do this instead. What do we do? Pride. We become the God of our life. So for us, what is the cure? It's sanctification. And all sanctification is, is just the process of salvation after you've been saved. It is God making you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's all it is. And all of us need that. And all of us have pride in our life. How do I know? Because how many times does God have to break you? If you didn't have pride, you wouldn't have to be broken. But over and over and over again, God has to break us because pride wells up and it stops the work of God in our life. Listen, you can stop the work of God in your life. Unless you submit to the process of sanctification, God cannot work in your life. You can stop it right now. And many of us do. And we never become what God has intended for us. We never do what God has called us to do. We never go where God tells us to go or say what God tells us to say. Why? Because our pride wells up and we stop the work of God in our life. God wants you into the image of Jesus. What does Jesus look like? The greatest picture, one of them in the Bible is in Philippians 2. Listen to what Paul says. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. For you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So what is the work God wants to do in your life to make you like Jesus Christ? He wants to humble you. That's who Jesus was. Jesus was a humble slave and he humbled himself in obedience to God and even died a criminal's death on a cross. Someone one time asked St. Augustine, what is the true mark of Christianity? And he said, humility. They asked him, what's the second true mark of Christianity? And he said, humility. Then they asked him, what is the third true mark of Christianity? And he said, humility. You see, humility is the fruit of God. Where sin is the fruit of pride. God wants us to be humble. Just as Jesus is humble. This is what he says in James 4. 
It says this in verse 6. It says, And He gives grace generously. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. You see, humility only grows in the soil of God's grace. Don't pray for more humility in your life. Pray for more of God's grace in your life. Because when you understand God's grace, and you understand that His grace is not for someone else, but it is for you. And when you see that grace in light of your sin, that's when you will be changed. And that's when you will be humble like Christ Jesus. That's why we sing the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that what? Saved a wretch like me. God changes you through His grace because His grace humbles you and makes you more like Jesus Christ. And when that happens, then James 4, 8 can be a reality in our lives and in our church. That is my favorite verse in Scripture. It says, if you will draw near to God, God will draw near to you. God desires to be near you. That's why He created you in the first place, to be near to you. And what is His requirement? Simply humility. Humble yourselves. Resist the devil. And draw near to me. And when we do that, everything changes. Because humility changes everything. It changes our lives. It changes our relationships. It changes our marriages. It changes our churches. It changes everything. If we would just humble ourselves. This week I've thought back over my life. And I've thought back on people who've made the biggest impact in my life. And what set them apart in my life over all others. And it was always one characteristic I came back to. Humility. Humility. One of those who made one of the greatest impacts on my life was a missionary in China. A Korean American. His name was Young. When I met Young, he was 72 years of age. At the age of 70, God called him back to the mission field to leave retirement here in America and go to China, a place he had never been, a place he had never lived, to share the gospel in a city of 3 million people to be the only Christian witness in that city. At the age of 70, he learned Mandarin for the first time. When I met him two years later, he had a grasp of Mandarin so well that he was teaching in a local college. Two years. He had started 23 churches in two years. And where he went as being the only Christian presence, he was seeing a move of God like I can't describe with words. I watched him pray for his people. 
watched him weep over them. And I watched him break when he would share the gospel. And a person would reject him. The last time I ever saw Young was the day I left China. His wife Sue took me to the hotel where he was doing a training session for the pastors of the churches he had planted. I walked into the room to tell him goodbye. When I walked in, Young was on his knees. And he had a basin of water and he was going to every pastor in the room and he was untying their shoes and he was dipping their feet in the water and he was washing their feet. And I stood there quietly as he went to every pastor in the room. And then he saw me out of the corner of his eye so he came over to tell me bye. This is what he said. He said, John... It's very important that no one thinks that I'm better than them. That's why I'm washing their feet. So they know I'm the lowest of the low. And he hugged me goodbye. And he went back to serving those pastors. That's what humility does. It serves. What did Jesus do? Did he come to this earth to be served? No. He says the son of man did not come to this earth to be served, but to serve. In John 13, he did exactly what young Cho did. He washed the disciples feet and then he stood and said, I have given you an example to follow. Follow it. Humility. would rather follow the one who has influence who knows the right people who says the right words who dresses the right way rather than the one that's on their knees but which one changes the world I'll tell you which one The one that lives their life according to the word of God. That's who. And for everyone in this room that claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what God has called you to. Humility. Servanthood. Be a slave to the obedience of God. Whatever he says. Even if he says to go die. Because that's what Jesus did. And he gave us an example to follow. And he says follow it. So this morning you can leave this place one of two ways. The same way you came in. Or you can leave this place changed. Humble. 
more like Christ. Here's what's amazing to me. The decision is not God, it's yours. You either submit to Him or you deny Him. So this morning, that's to you. Bow with me, Lord. We love you. We just want to thank you for your word. Lord, I understand that your word is not easy this morning. But I pray that your words would change us. And Lord, I pray that as we're changed, and as we humble ourselves before you, you would just simply draw near to this place. Lord, draw near. Let us be changed by your presence. So we just give you these moments. Pray that you would move. And Lord, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.